Well, last Sunday evening, I began a series called Embracing the Unknown. And, and what does that look like? How do we do that? We look like, looked at what is it, how as Christ followers do we embrace the unknown? And last week, I really talked about it in the context of missions. Last week was our Global Impact Conference. Uh, you heard uh, Mitch Martin here talk about uh, you know, going. What does it look like? And so, I really talked about it in the context of missions, embracing the unknown in the context of missions. But, embracing the unknown could be, you know, being a newlywed. Y'all remember those unknown days? Being a parent for the first time. Anybody remember that? And you thought, oh Lord, I haven't a clue what I got myself into. This is unknown territory for us. Maybe husbands, it's leading your family for the first time. Maybe it's responding to God in such a way that you're willing to, to uproot your family and take another job somewhere else in another place. Maybe it's simply taking the kingdom of God beyond the walls of this building tomorrow. And for the first time, You've said, Lord, here I am, send me. And we, talked, we looked at the life of Jonathan, remember? And we looked at the five steps that Jonathan took to embrace the unknown. And he said that he embraced initiative. In other words, he saw what God was doing, and so he took the step of faith, trusting the Lord to do what he said he would do. Then we said that he embraced uncertainty. He had no idea what God was going to do. All he knew is that, that he was following God. He was going to take those steps. He was going to trust God. And sometimes we have to do the very same thing. Well, we also embrace influence. Remember, how many people that could Jonathan influence? Y'all remember? It's not a trick question. It's more than zero, less than two. One. Yeah, his armor bearer. He says, Come. Let us go and take on these Philistines, these pagans. And because of his influence, because he spoke into his life, because he invited him into this journey, this adventure, his armor bearer saw the power and the majesty of God as these two men conquered the Philistines. But then they embraced risk. We talked about how we can't move forward with God if we're still holding on to our traditions or under our pews or under our classes or teachers or our friends. Sometimes we will never embrace what God wants to do in us and through us until we are willing to embrace the risk. And that there's risk in everything. And then lastly, we saw Jonathan embrace advancement as they climbed up the rocks hand and foot with one of two swords in, in all the Israeli army and took on the Philistines. And he saw the power and the majesty of God in a fresh new way. And that as you and I embrace the unknown of our lives, whether it's, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in our work, whether it's in school, that when we embrace the unknown, we will see God in a new and fresh way. Tonight, because here's the question I have for God. Why? God, why should I do this? Why should I, why should I embrace the unknown of my life? Right? 
I mean, be honest, the unknown's going to come to us. But why should I embrace it? Why should I grab onto it? Why should I take the kingdom of God beyond the walls of this building? I think there's one factor. I think we embrace the unknown because of God's love. God's love. We embrace the unknown because of God's love. Now listen, we talk a lot about God's love and how God loves us. Matter of fact, uh, Don did a whole series of sermons on love, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Anybody remember those? Don, I'm looking. I see heads nodding a few. Yeah, good job, Don. Don remembers it. Good. You know what? We may even be able to quote John 3, 16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But here's what I discovered when I began to, to diving into, looking into the concept of God's love. I found that it was a lot more complex than I had anticipated. And I think it's because we oversimplify the concept of love in general. Because we have somehow made it about an emotion. Something that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside, rather than an action. I don't think we truly understand God's love. And to be honest, I don't know that we ever will completely understand God's love. But I also think we trivialize it. Because we associate love with everything from I love my new car to I love you know, my best friend, to I love my husband or my wife or my children, to I love God. Oh, by the way, and I love Five Guys Cheeseburgers. And that is real. Larry, you agree with me? I see a head nod. I got a testimony back here testifying. It. Yeah, don't we throw that word around like it, it almost doesn't mean anything anymore in our culture. To be honest, I don't know that it really means a whole lot in our churches these days. Because when I see the churches going through what they're going through, I don't see a whole lot of love in some places, in some of our people. And I think it's because we've interchanged our use of the concept of love with God's love. We don't really believe God loves us. We say he does. But if we really understood God's love, if we understood his love and how it affects who we are, and our relationship with him, and our relationship with others, and our relationship with those that we come across, whether it's across the street, across the state, or across the world, it would change how we lived our life. And tonight, I want us to look at three foundational truths of God's love that will help us understand why you and I need to embrace the unknown every day of our life. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, Beginning with verse 7. I have, to keep my, I have to wear my glasses tonight so I can see you guys. So I have to keep pushing my Bible away. So that or I have to take these off and then, oh, this is better. I can't see you. I'm kidding. Here's what John writes. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, an only son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us command, given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anybody bother to count how many times he uses love or derivative of love within the context of this passage? I'll tell you, 26 times. Do you think love is important to John? Do you think the idea that God loves you and me and who he is in his love, do you think that's important? I think it is because twice he says, God is love. Why do you think he had to state that twice? Why do you think he was led by the Spirit of God to write, God is love? That's three of the most powerful words in all of the Bible. God is love. I believe it's because at, he's saying at the very nature, at the very core of God's nature is his love. It's not a separate characteristic. It is who he is. He is love. It's not a separate dimension, but all of his other characteristics in nature fall out of love. He's merciful because he is first love. He's gracious because he's first love. He's forgiving because he is first, at the very nature of his being, love. So let's look at God's love. Let's look at God's love and those three foundational truths that will hopefully help us get a better understanding. Maybe if nothing else, it will, it will speak to our hearts in such a way that it will impact us and affect in how we embrace the unknown for God in our lives. And the first, the first one is God's love is unconditional. The first truth is God's love is unconditional. Listen, we talk about that all the time, but here's what John said in verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. In Romans 5, 8, Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what I love about God. Isn't that cool? Okay, I love this love about God. See how easy we throw that around? 
God's love for us is not predicated on our love for him. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God's not waiting for you and me to love him first? But because of at the very nature of who he is, at the very core of God is his love that he can love you and me. See, he loves us whether we love him or not. It's the very heart of what we call agape love, the very word used to describe God's love in this passage. Our human love doesn't move us to love God. It doesn't move God to love us either. He loves us in spite of us. And oftentimes in my prayer, man, I, I am so thankful. And I'll tell her, God, thank you for loving me in spite of me. Because I guarantee you, there are times when I'm a very difficult person to love. Husbands and wives, I bet if I talk to your spouses, they would say the same thing about you. But in spite of me, in spite of what I do, in spite of what I say, in spite of how I act, God loves me. Because that's who he is. You see, if my experience in God's love was dependent on me and loving God first, there's no way that I would ever, ever, ever get to experience his agape love. Because apart from him, I cannot know or express that kind of love in my life. See, God's unconditional love means that God loves us the same no matter what. He won't love us any more or less because of the things we do or say, nothing you will ever do can make God love you more than he does right now. Not achieving more, not greater beauty, not more money, not deeper spirituality. God will not love you any more than he does right now. On the other side of that, there is nothing that you have ever done in your life that will cause him to love you less. There's nothing that you will do tomorrow or the next day or the next month or the next year that will cause him to love you any less, not any of your past sins or mistakes, not any of your failures, no level of guilt or regret, none of the mistakes you will make will cause him to love you less. And that's because God's love is not dependent on anything we do or say or don't do. Here's what I love about this. When I was preparing for this, God really showed me this. Do you realize we get the full extent of God's love all the time? It's not like when we enter into a relationship with him, he says, all right, I'm going to give you a 90-day probationary period, so I'm only going to give you about 60% of my love. And then when you get through with that, if you're still pretty good, I'll give you a little more. No, the day I entered into a relationship with him, he says, here is the full extent of my love, Mike. Nothing you did in the past is going to affect that. Nothing you do in the future is going to affect that. You get the full extent of my love 24-7, 365. You know how powerful that is? You know how unlike that is in us, how we love based on conditions? See, it's not like God is saying, okay, well, you did really good, so I'm going to give you some bonus love. You get a little bonus this quarter, you get some extra loving. Or, you know what, Mike, you really messed up, so I'm going to have to take some of that love back. And then if you do good next quarter, then I'm going to give you, I'll give it back. And then if you do really good, we may give you some bonus loving. That's not how God operates. That's not based on what I do or say or didn't do or say. I get the full extent of God's love. You get the full extent of God's love right now. That's unconditional love. That's powerful, people. 
That's powerful. Tony Campolo is a Christian sociologist, and he's pastored some, and, and uh, he wrote a book, The Kingdom of God is, is a Party. And uh, he tells a story in this book, and I related this story. Matter of fact, I shared this message with our men not too long ago, and so someone may go, I've heard this before. But in the book, he talks about being on vacation in Hawaii. And because of time change or for one reason or another, he found himself up about 2 or 30 in the morning sitting in a diner. He said, I think the coffee had been there about a week. And the one donut they had, a little thing, I think had been there longer than that. But he got to talking to the old cook. And I think the cook's name was Harry. And in my head, for some reason, you know, a diner cook, he talks like this. Oh, I'm Harry. Hey, welcome diner. Hey, well, you want some coffee? You want some donuts? You know, I mean, who else, who, who else is going to be up at 2.30 in the morning, right? And so Harry, he can get to talking. Well, here come these ladies in about 3.30. And he notices them and he starts to listen to them. And they're all prostitutes. And Harry and them knows them because they come in. They're regulars. They're customers. And they get to talking and stuff. And finds out one of the ladies, her birthday's the next day. And uh, she makes a comment. She even tells Harry, quit giving me a hard time. She goes, I've never, ever had a birthday party in my life. And so after a while, they leave, and Tony's sitting there, and he talks to Harry. He said, Harry, would it be okay if we threw her a birthday party tomorrow? He goes, I'll even get the cake. He goes, no, man, that'd be a great idea. Cake's my specialty. I'll do the cake if you'll do everything else. And so the next day, Tony Campolo goes and buys all these decorations. He shows up early, about 2.30, and he's getting the, the, the patrons that are in there. They're regulars, and they're decorating this diner, this little diner, for a happy birthday. About 3.30, the ladies walk in, and when they do, they're, happy birthday. And she's standing there stunned and begins to weep. And then Harry comes out with the ache, you know, and they're singing, happy birthday. You know, he sets it down on the counter. Harry's not in our choir, I don't think, or in our praise team. <laughs> he sets it down, and he goes, come on now, you need to cut it. We all want some cake. And she just looks at it. She's in awe. She's in amazement. And she looks at Harry, and she looks at Tony, and she says, is it okay if I just take this home for a little while? I just live a couple doors down the street. And they said, sure. So she picks it up, and, and then the place is quiet now. And she turns around, she walks out, and she's just staring, and she's weeping. And Harry and Tony get to talking and kind of find out. Harry finds out that Tony's a pastor, and he goes, oh, what kind of church do you belong to? He goes, one that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. And of course, he says, Oh, there's no such thing. If it was, I'd be a part of it. You wouldn't be in the choir, of course. <laughs> but, and Tony says, well, buddy, we just did. We just did. See, that's unconditional love. See, God's love, divine love is expressed for everyone, not just the people. We think about it. It's for the prostitute who never had a birthday party. It's for the inmate in prison or for the parent who abuses a child. It's for the friend who has hurt us so deeply and then posted it on Facebook or social media. We don't think we'll ever get over it. It's for the neighbor we don't like or the boss who unjustly fired us. It's for the spouse who leaves us after many years of marriage. But on the other side, it's, it's for those that we love. It's for our children. It's for us. It's for the lost. Because God's love is unconditional. The second 
foundational truth is God's love is compelling. God's love is compelling. The love of God, his divine agape love, is always exhibited in action. Agape love always moves us to do something. Look what it says in verse 9. This is how God, what? Showed his love. He exhibited, he demonstrated. It's something that we could see, something we could touch and feel. How he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God didn't just say, hey, I love you. Was it something he did as he was heading out the door? Hey, I love you. Was it see him as he saw you in the hallway at church? Hey, I love you. No. It wasn't just talk on God's lips. It wasn't just words in his Bible. It was his heart and his actions. And it compelled him to do something. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Apostle Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us, it moves us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. It moves us to do something. It moves God to do something. It moves Paul and, his, and those he served with to do something with the Corinthians. The love of Jesus compelled him to lay his body upon the cross. See, if we have the love of God in us, the love of God will always move us to action and to somehow show it in some form or another. It may move us out of the shadows of anonymity and into the middle of ministry. It may move us to use our giftedness to serve in a ministry or to start a ministry Maybe to step up and serve in, a, in a, one of our Bible study groups or help us start a Bible study group. Maybe to serve in preschool and children or student ministries or to help us start a new ministry we haven't dreamed of yet. It may help, it will compel us to serve those who are not like us. In your heart of hearts, who's not like you? You see, because the love of God is unconditional and it compels us, it may move you to serve the very people who are not like you. Think about who you are and who's not like you. It may compel you to be active in our community, maybe to serve on a mission win team. Matter of fact, we're having a meeting right after this service about going out and taking those food boxes into our community and serving our community. It may compel you to befriend and build a relationship with your neighbors or go to a place that is unlike you, whether that's taking God's love across the street, across the city, or across the world. Maybe it's to go on a short-term mission trip or maybe commit to full-time missions. Maybe it's to help us plant a church or start a Bible study outside the walls of this church. Maybe it's you embracing initiative. Because God's love has compelled you to do something rather than sit here and soak. Maybe it's to restore a relationship and forgive somebody who's hurt you or to seek forgiveness from someone that you may have hurt and just haven't realized it. Maybe it's compelling you to trust God in a new way, in a deeper way. Maybe it's 
He's moving you to embrace the unknown of your life for the first time. But I know something tends to get in the way, and that something is fear. Remember last week we talked about Saul and how fear kept him underneath the pomegranate tree at Megron, just waiting. And some of you have been sitting here in fear, waiting, and, and God's love says, wait a minute, my love compelled me to, to send my son to die for you. If his love is in you, what are you being compelled to do? But see, fear gets in the way, like it did Saul. Maybe it's fear of being uncomfortable or rejected. The fear of something or someone. The fear of sacrifice. The fear of inconvenience. The fear of injustice. The fear of getting hurt again. That's all part of embracing uncertainty and embracing risk and how we embrace the unknown. That may happen. But God's love still compels us to do something. In 1 John 4.18, John wrote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's what I know. We will either be controlled by and compelled by fear or by the love of God. Which one is compelling and controlling you right now? Are you controlled by fear or are you compelled by God's love? Only you can answer that. And to be honest, you can tell me whatever you want to. You can tell your spouse, you can tell your family, you can tell the person next to you in the pew, whatever you want to. But listen, this is between you and God. Because God already knows whether you're being controlled by fear or compelled by his love. So if you're lying to anybody, the only person you're lying to is yourself. You ever thought of that? Because nothing occurs to God. He knows if you're, if you're being honest with yourself. He knows if you're sitting there going, oh yeah, man, I, I'm compelled by God's love. And yet you've never stepped up and served in a ministry. You've never helped to start something new. You've never taken the gospel to a friend or a family member. You've never stopped to serve somebody who's unlike you. That doesn't sound like somebody who's compelled by God's love. So if you haven't done that, who, who are you lying to? Who are you trying to justify your actions to? See, he says, if we don't love, if we hate our brother or sister, then the love of God is not in us. Listen, if you're not taking the gospel to somebody, you might as well just say, you're not worth it. Go to hell. You're not worth sharing the gospel with. And so what is God's love compelling you to do? And so it's unconditional, it's compelling. Here's the last thing, it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. In verse 10, John wrote, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' coming wasn't about the incarnation of God. It was about the atoning sacrifice for you and me. Jesus emptied himself to come and take the form of a man, not just any man, but a slave, and to be obedient to the Father unto the cross. A sacrifice to die a cross-like death for you and me. 
John 3, 16 and 17. We mentioned earlier, 3, 16 earlier, for God so loved the world that whoever, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him, through his death on a cross. It said that, that he who was without sin became sin so that we may be called the righteousness of God. Sacrifice. Sacrificial love is what drove our Savior to the cross. See, saving the world through Jesus only happens through the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross through the sacrifice of Jesus' life. Honestly, we believe that God's love is about sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice his own son for you and for me, one of his greatest treasures. When we embrace the unknown, we will truly accept God's love as sacrificial, and when it gets in us, it's controlling us, compelling us, then we too will embrace the unknown. We'll be willing to sacrifice for God because it's about taking the kingdom of God beyond these walls. It's about taking the kingdom of God into our homes. It's about taking the kingdom of God into our schools and on our teams and in the band and in our clubs. It's about taking the kingdom of God to our employees or employers. That doesn't mean it's not painless. It doesn't mean it won't be inconvenient. It doesn't mean that embracing the unknown with God's love in us, will be uncomfortable. Or it won't require letting go of some personal dreams or maybe some things that we cherish. Matter of fact, it might require great sacrifice for you and for me. I only think about the great sacrifice that God made for me. And I see how sacrificial His love is. Now, as we look at these three foundational truths of God's love, that they're unconditional, compelling, and sacrificial, one thing you'll see is that none of them are independent of the other two. I can't be love unconditional if I'm not willing and compelled to move and to show that love, to display that love, to extend that love, and make sacrifices in doing it. If I'm not willing to do that, then my love is not unconditional. If I'm not compelled to do something, to show that love, is my love really unconditional and sacrificial? No, my love's about me. I don't want to have to do anything. I don't want to have to give up anything. I don't want to have to show it. I just want to be able to say it and people get it. Listen, if my love is not sacrificial, if I'm not willing to give up something so that somebody else can experience God's love in my life, then I can't say my love is unconditional and it's compelling. Because again, it's about my comfort. It's about what I want. It's about what I desire. It's about what I don't want to do, maybe. Three foundational truths of God's love. It's unconditional. Nothing will cause him to hold his love back from you. It's compelling. It moved him. His love moved him to show it. And the way he showed it to you and me was through his son, Jesus Christ. 
It's also sacrificial. He was willing to sacrifice his own son as he extended his love to us through Jesus. Let me ask you this. Could you embrace the unknown for God without God's love in you? Verse 16 says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Who are you having trouble loving today, brother, sister? Who are you unwilling to love unconditionally? Who are you unwilling to extend God's love to? Show them that love personally. Who are you unwilling to sacrifice for so that they can experience that love firsthand? Man, that's hard, ain't it? It is for me because my love doesn't want to do any of that. But if God's love is in us, that's the only way that it can be shown is through you and me. You know, it's funny, a lot of times on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, I'll say, let's go be the church as I dismiss. And it's kind of a joke among the staff now, but I'm, that's what I mean. Listen, when you leave here, you are the only Jesus somebody will meet. You are the only experience of God's love they will ever encounter. What are you going to show them? What will they see? What will they know of the God you profess? Of the Jesus who died on the cross for you and for me? What will they know? What will they see? What will they experience? Man, if we're not willing to embrace the unknown, and, and I think that one of the only ways we can do it is allowing God's love to get in us. Because when God's love gets in, gets in us, it's not, no longer about us. It's about everybody else because that's what God's love was about. It was about you and me. You had already had a relationship with him. He wanted to have a relationship with you. Who do you know that needs a relationship with God? When God's love gets in you, there is nothing within you that doesn't want anything more than the kingdom of God to go outside the walls of this building, the walls of your classroom the walls of your home, the walls of your workplace. Is God's love in you? Let's pray. Tonight, I, I want to invite you because you may be, this may be all new to you, and you have never experienced God's unforgettable and forgiving love, his love that is unconditional, compelling, and sacrificial you may never have heard that he gave up his only son to die on the cross for you so that you could have a relationship with the holy God. And tonight, you, man, you're just like, I've never heard that. I want to experience that kind of love. I want to have a relationship with the God who loves me like that. And if that's you, in a moment, when we get ready to sing, I'll ask you to stand I want you to just step out in the aisle. There'll be pastors down here. Man, they want to meet you. 
They want to help you experience that love for yourself for the very first time. Uh, listen, it is one of the greatest moments in your life. Don't miss it tonight. Maybe, believer, you're here tonight and you're struggling loving somebody. Maybe it's a spouse or a child or, or a friend that you used to have or maybe it's yourself and you just need some help and I want to ask you tonight that whether you're right there or maybe as we sing you just step out and come down here and say God I want your love in me it will change your life believer it will change your life maybe God's been challenging you to embrace the unknown in some way in your own life and and you've been holding back, but you know that, man, if the love of God was truly in you, there was nothing that would hold you back from God or from going or from being or for doing for Him. So I want to invite you tonight to say, God, I want your love in me. I want to embrace the unknown for you. Father God, we lift up this time for you, Lord. There was no greater force in this world than your love. Because of your love, we can now have a relationship with you for now and forevermore, that we can experience life everlasting starting today. And so, Father, I pray for those who need Jesus for the first time, that tonight would be the day of their salvation, that in boldness and courage they would step out and come to talk to one of our pastors, and they would receive Jesus Christ and experience the full extent of your love for the first time in your life. God, I pray for the believer that's standing here that has truly never lived in your love, who has never experienced your love. I pray that you would show that love upon them. Pour it out on them tonight, God. I pray for those who are struggling with, with following you and, and doing something that, Lord, may be tough or, or call for some uncertainty and risk in their life, that you would give them the courage to step out and say, here am I, God. Send me. Let me take your love from this place into a dying world. Father God, may your will be done on earth, right here at Wind Baptist Church, as it is in heaven. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.